My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be one of my friends. I'm just trying to save you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate, to teach you, and put days like this in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Cramer. Remember the stimulus? Remember when the government was at least thinking about helping small businesses stay afloat until we get a vaccine? The market sure doesn't remember, which is why it got crushed today. Dow plummeting 510 points down, much worse at one point. The S&P plunging 1.16%. The Nasdaq sinking 0.13%. Nice comeback there. But forget another bailout. There's now a real possibility also of a government shutdown next month. Before we get too negative, though, don't forget that stocks have been getting hammered for some time now. As I listened to the talking heads today, I, I was kind of in awe to hear them suddenly recognize that the big cap tech names act terribly. It's like, wow, holy cow, these are down a lot. We, to, we better sell. I mean, of course, they were also acting terribly last week and the week before. So a bounce could potentially be in the offing. One perhaps heralded by the amazing rebound in Apple, which at its lows today was down roughly 25% from its highs earlier this month. In fact, Apple led the Nasdaq 100 back from morning oblivion, drenched in red to bright green in a strong late-hour rally that nobody seems to be taking seriously except for me. But before I get into where we're headed, you need to understand why this moment seems so perilous to so many. First, we've run out of hope for a stimulus deal that could keep small businesses alive. I mean, it really does seem that way, right? The House and the Senate have been wrangling over this for months. They're getting nowhere. Throw in a big fight over the Supreme Court, and it's hard to imagine anything getting done. That's a problem. There are tons of businesses that will go under in the next few months without some form of government assistance. Until we get a vaccine, the only way to contain COVID is with masks and social distancing. By the way, those are two things that make it nearly impossible for smaller restaurants, for smaller retailers to make any money. Yet, I think our leaders are still in total denial. I swear, I wish they owned a bar or a restaurant. Then they know what's happening in this country. It's staggeringly sad, and nobody in Washington seems to care enough to compromise. Just wait till it gets cold, and then even the outdoor gets shut. We need to face up the facts. For public health reasons, it's just not safe to keep reopening the restaurants and the bars. Every time they reopen, the virus comes roaring back. It's not just here. It's Madrid. It's UK. It's like we keep bashing our heads against the wall. Unfortunately, we know these businesses will go under if they're not allowed to operate. And there are 15 million people who work in this particular industry who are now in big trouble. That's why they expand unemployment insurance and the Paycheck Protection Program were so fabulous. They really cushioned the blow here, kept businesses alive. But we let those programs expire and we had nothing to replace them, causing, I think, a small business apocalypse. How is that possible in this great country? Meanwhile, all things travel and leisure, including the airlines, they're truly on the ropes. They just haven't had the resurgence many had hoped for. The COVID worries haven't gone away, and business travelers are fine working on Zoom. By the way, Zoom stock rallied nearly 30 bucks today. What does that tell you? As long as your competitors are using Zoom, too, there's no disruption. May the best Zoom presentation win. But first-class business travelers who stay in first-class hotels, they're not coming back. Not without a vaccine. Expect a lot of layoffs from the airlines. They don't have enough passengers to justify having as many employees. Not without bailout money. I don't think they're being unreasonable. Same goes for the cruise line stocks, so beloved by the Robin Hood crowd, like Carnival, Royal Caribbean, Norwegian. Their, their rally is now stillborn. The Robin Hood men, the, the Murray band there, are they hanging in? Uh, not the ones on margin. 
Oh, and a huge percentage of renters have simply stopped paying rent. You just don't see it in the numbers. You can see it in the stocks of the commercial real estate owners, like the Federal Realty, Simon Property Group, Vernado, Realty Income, and Starwood Properties, among others. But honestly, those are the, aren't the real pressure points. The real problem area is in residential real estate. Tenants who can't cover the rent on their apartments. Yes, there's a housing boom, but there's a lot of people who just aren't paying their rents. The owners can't oust them in many states because of the moratorium on evictions. Two different markets. There's the brand new housing market, and that is doing fabulously. And then there's the renters in the city, and that's doing terribly. Two different ones. Second source of disarray, the sad passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. At a time when we really need Congress to compromise, the last thing we need is a bruising fight over the next member of the Supremes. Throw in a contentious election, that's coming in the situation. Well, it's just not great. It makes you want to sit on your hands. Not necessarily sell, but sit on your hands, not take advantage of the declines. While the unemployed fret, our government's focused on making sure that an entertainment site, TikTok, is owned by Americans rather than Chinese. I don't want to go into the machinations behind this one, but I feel like TikTok should be a lower priority. And it's not Huawei. It's not owned by the People's Liberation Army. I don't even know if the PLA tunes in. Still, this is good news for Oracle and Walmart. I'm always trying to find a silver lining here when we're down a lot, and that's going to be resting control over TikTok's U.S. business. It pledged to hire 25,000 people. A lot of them are in Austin. I would buy both Oracle and Walmart, okay? It's that, fa- it's that fabulous for them. It's, good. it's great for our country. But politically, compared to stimulus, sideshow. Next problem at least in terms of the psyche of the market. That's what I'm getting at here, the question of Nikola, that pastiche of Bard Electric Truck Technologies, which just lost its executive chairman and chief evangelist Trevor Milton, thanks to some serious fraud allegations. Milton, paradise lost. I've been warning for you about Nikola for ages, but it's another Robin Hood favorite. The Robin Hood cohort's been keeping a lot of speculative stocks alive. And now the air is going out of the balloon. Finally, we got some weird wave of corruption that washed on our shores from foreign banks that can't stop doing business with criminals. Our banks are in much better shape than foreign competitors, but they're joined at the hip thanks, thanks to the global financial system. Now, this was a real shadow boxer because the banks weren't even allowed to comment. What a sandbagging. So Deutsche Bank and J.P. Morgan. OK, yeah, I never see them in the same sentence until today. Now, these negatives are real. Hard to refute. We know there's enough going wrong that you can't necessarily wade into this market and think, wow, I'm going to make them fortune. But you know what? Aside from the Supreme Court fight, there's not much new. We've only noticed because stocks have been down so long that we're feeling beleaguered. I heard so many people pronounce the death of Fang again and and Fang and its friends uh, now that Apple hit bear market territory. I mean, people wrote off NVIDIA. I saw Microsoft. I saw a lot of stuff being worried about Amazon. I saw Alphabet down. You know, I think it's incredible that it took a monstrous decline for people to realize that there's been a monstrous decline and yet they still want to sell. I mean, the time to sell was last month. As someone who turned bearish in these tech stocks weeks ago because I felt like we were getting greedy and told you repeatedly, I say the tech downdraft now seems like an opportunity. In fact, we put money to work today for a host of stocks for the charitable trust because they finally got low enough to be attractive. Stocks as they go lower, get more attractive. How can you not be enticed by some of these hammers? Apple. I don't care that it's up 50% for the year. It is more catalyst than nearly any other stock under the sun. New revenue streams, great balance sheet, stay-at-home economy, exposure, and, of course, 5G. Now that it's come down from its highs, down 25%, I don't know, do you sell it? I think you got to buy it. Same goes for Microsoft, Amazon, Alphabet. We had a $36 million insider buy reported this very evening by the chairman of Broadcom. You want to sell that? Go ahead. Maybe sell it to him. Right here. Here, chairman. Let me say in my stock. 
Later tonight, I'm going to give you a list of what else is working. But when I see this kind of across-the-board capitulation that we had today, I think it's a crescendo. I think it's healthy. I don't think it's toxic. We had an awful lot of people think that 2020 was a replay of 1999 when this market just went up, up, up. It turns out it's not 1999. We didn't get these kinds of vicious declines that shook out the weak hands back then. It just kept going. This is an object lesson for everyone who started trading in March and thinks that stocks only go up. Because when they go down hard, wow, I mean, it shakes everybody out. Maybe we can hang the bull of 1999 in effigy. Make a feast of them. Hey, where's Dario, the Italian butcher, when you need him? Good stuff. I think the reversal today, as I told subscribers to ActionAlertsPlus.com, was your key to start doing some buying, not some selling. I said the same thing this morning. I squawk on the street. I said, okay, enough. I said, enough. The uncertainty is the disarray, the mayhem. It's not going to go away. All this stuff is, uh, is in front of us, I admit. But the bottom line, this wasn't day one of the decline, people. We're now two weeks into the gigantic sell-off, and everything's been thrown away except a handful of lockdown stocks. Better to buy them when they're down than when you're chasing them when they're up. I just hope you have some cash on the sidelines to take advantage of the weakness. The techs are down huge, so one thing's for certain, you sure aren't buying them at the top. Justin in New York. Justin. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. 24. I want you to run for president, and I want David Favre as your VP. What do you say? Uh, we got to talk to my wife. Huh? She wants me to be mayor of oh, New York. She did. She asked me to run for mayor like a thousand times already. So why would I want to be mayor of New York? She says, why don't you do better than that guy? I, which is true. But go ahead. I'm sorry. She'll get used to it. Michelle didn't want to be vice president, uh, first lady. My stock has been recommended by the Motley Fool. I really like the financials and balance sheet. Can Stitch Fix go up with the tech sell-off? It's already up. You know, I don't like the setup here. I mean, this stock has just been creeping up. And you know what? Look, when everybody despised this stock, I was in there in San Francisco raving about it. And you know, now everybody likes it. Katrina's terrific, but it's at its 52-week high. Oh, it's a point over to its high. I see so many stocks that are down. Those are the ones I'm going for, but I think Christina's terrific. It's Christina like the CEO of Citrix. Eric in Michigan. Eric. Jim, I'm a big fan of your show. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. I bought Norwegian Cruise Lines at $18 a share a few weeks ago. Okay. I'm planning on, I'm planning on holding on to it for a year or two. Do you think I can possibly see a double or a triple if I hold on to this thing? Well, look, Frank Del Rio has enough money to last two years. I think he runs the best, and he also had a remarkable fundraise that was so smart. Uh, if you're going to – oh, let's put it this way. If you're going to own a cruise ship, a cruise line for two years, it's going to be Norwegian, NCLH. Now, there's a lot of bad money in these stocks, and a lot of people are panicking. And when they panic, what do you do? Do you sell into the maelstrom? No, you buy into the panic. Okay, I know today was painful. But the reversal we saw is your key to start doing some buying. You have to. You want to bottom fish, not top fish. There's nothing up there. Don't be really aggressive. And I think probably some people are going to flip what they bought in the last hour tomorrow morning. That might be your opportunity. Man, tonight, Eli Lilly just announced positive results in the fight against breast cancer. I'm getting the latest from the CEO, Dave Bricks. Then, as the popularity of hard seltzers has spiked, pun intended, well-known brands are working to get in the mix. With Coca-Cola joining the ranks with Topo Chico hard seltzer. Uh, It's going out September 28th. When's it going to get here? Not until the beginning of next year. But I'm going to talk to James Quincy, CEO. And with Americans eating more meals at home, supermarkets are among the few traditional retailers to thrive. 
How is Albertsons the stock faring? It's not faring as well as Albertsons the company. I'm talking to the nation's fourth largest grocer. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. I know a lot of the S&P 500 rolled over today, but it's gotten to the point where we're ignoring great news from recession-proof companies that will do just fine, even if COVID's about to make a horrific fall comeback. Take Eli Lilly. It's the big pharma titan with a stock that roared higher in June on some terrific breast cancer data. A couple of weeks later, the stock surged to a new all-time high. But since then, Lilly's stock has been weak, even when it reported an excellent quarter in late July, even when it reported all sorts of promising data earlier this month on their COVID-19 treatment, not to mention cardiology, migraine, cancer drugs. Today was maybe the worst example of all. Last night, Lilly reported more thorough data on the breast cancer drug everyone got excited about in June. That's Verzenio. Turns out when you take this thing in combination with the current standard of care, it reduces the risk of recurrence by a staggering 25% for people with certain high-risk types of breast cancer. And that is huge. On any other day, I think it might have sent the stock flying. Instead, Lilly dropped nearly 2% today to $151. You know what? I think that is strange. And I think it's temporary. Don't take it from me, though. Let's check in with Dave Ricks. He's the chairman and CEO of Eli Lilly. Get a better sense of these recent developments, including the latest incredible breast cancer data. Fisher Ricks, welcome back to Mad Money. Great to be with you, Jim. Thanks for having me on. Okay, so, Dave, I think a lot of people may say, well, hold it, just a 25% improvement. I mean, what does that mean? Uh, there's another company, Pfizer. They've got a drug in there, too. Can you please explain to people how monumental a 25% save rate really is here? Well, it's obviously significant. This study we read out yesterday uh, enrolled patients who have uh, what's called the hormone receptor positive, but HER2 negative breast cancer, a very common form of breast cancer. They were treated by their physicians, and then were trying to prevent the cancer from coming back. And in this study, when you added Resenio 2, the standard of care reduced it 25% chance of your cancer coming back. This is the only um, improvement we've seen in almost 20 years on the background uh, standard of care. And, of course, a one in four uh, chance that your cancer won't return is, is really meaningful. And this was studied primarily in a high-risk patient population who are particularly concerned about their cancer returning. So great news for breast cancer patients. Uh, there is no other drug uh, in this class uh, approving this indication, and we'll be submitting to the FDA in the second half of this year. While we are on the subject of, of your oncological franchise, I mean, it just seems to get better and better. Uh, recent approval, non-small cell lung cancer. Uh, this is an amazing uh, franchise that you have built in really rather short period of time. Uh, tell us about the other successes. Yeah, well, we've been uh, working hard over the last three years to really invest in uh, the oncology business. It's an area where the science is really breaking New targets are emerging, and we all know, uh, for those that have been uh, touched by cancer, loved ones, family members, um, how devastating the disease can be. Um, and we think uh, investing here makes good sense. Uh, we acquired a company uh, last winter, uh, Loxo Oncology. We've incorporated uh, their great minds into our company and are really accelerating the early-stage pipeline. Uh, from that Loxo acquisition uh, came a drug called Retevmo, which was just approved this spring. 
and launch, uh, first drug we launched during a pandemic. <laughs> uh, it's indicated, as you mentioned, for um, several types of cancer, including uh, lung cancer, if you have what's called as a RET mutation, also indicated in certain types of thyroid cancer. It's a targeted agent, um, so you, you don't take background chemo with it, um, and it's got a very high uh, response rate, a very exciting development for uh, patients who have that RET mutation. More things coming in the early pipeline, and we'll be, we'll be talking about this more. Remember when he says no chemo, that means that it's targeted. It's not knocking you flat and not able to do, lead your life, and, which is rather remarkable. Now, Dave, you, you were doing some things with neutralizing antibodies in COVID-19 that David Faber and I were talking about this morning may be more important than the vaccine because you can uh, – it's a wide range of even potential uses of treatment, including prevention – and I think we spend too much time talking about vaccine and not enough time talking about your neutralizing antibody franchise. Well, we, we um, announced some data last week. It was early data from an interim look at a phase two study, but we believed it was proof of concept that neutralizing antibodies uh, can have a key role, as you're mentioning, in both controlling the disease in patients who suffer from COVID and, frankly, helping us get out of this uh, situation we're in uh, with the pandemic. Uh, this drug works by targeting, directly targeting the virus. We believe it's the first proof-of-concept data for any drug directly designed to, uh, to arrest COVID. We started this program, and Jim, you'll appreciate this, in March of this year. And just six months later, we had clinical data that demonstrate proof-of-concept. That's uh, incredible speed we've been moving in our scientists. And frankly, the volunteers in the study deserve a huge amount of credit. We're also looking at combinations of two of these things, and more data will be coming over the fall, and we hope that this will turn into a therapy that can be useful in one of three settings. This, this one was in patients who were newly diagnosed with COVID, and we noted uh, we had a number of high-risk people in that study, and it reduced hospitalizations by 72%, which is uh, obviously a key, key metric. We're also studying this in patients already in the hospital, as well as patients in nursing homes, as you're mentioning, where if one of your co-residents is infected, we treat the other residents and prevent the spread of the disease. That's another use for uh, these, these neutralizing antibodies called passive immunization. Uh, it works hand-in-hand hand with vaccination. We need vaccines, too. But uh, this is an important, um, important news last week with the neutralizing antibodies. Can you give us a peek of, of, of the nursing home study? Because th- this would be so important. We lost so many people in the New York, New Jersey area because of nursing homes. Exactly. I think the data in the U.S. is roughly 40% of all deaths have been patients in nursing homes. Um, It is a a huge problem. And here you have people close together who are, we know, at the highest risk, age and other underlying conditions. So um, stopping outbreaks in these homes has taken extraordinary measures in terms of infection control. And humans are humans, and we make mistakes sometimes. Um, and when those mistakes happen, it has dire consequences. So what we've done, and the study is fascinating, Jim, we actually equipped RVs made here in Indiana as mobile research units. And so when we learn of an um, outbreak in a home, we send the RV, we run a clinical study, not in a hospital or a doctor's office, but on the site of the nursing home, bringing the study to residents. And we're then watching to see if treatment uh, with this antibody or placebo can really reduce the spread of infection in that home. And as you pointed out, it's such an important uh, place to study a medicine like this. 
Well, it's monumental. And one other thing, I know you're a competitor with Amgen, particularly on migraine. But here you are working with them in order to be able to manufacture enough antibodies. So this is, again, like you started in March, you're doing things differently to beat this illness. Speed is a hallmark of the industry's response to, to COVID-19. And I, I don't think most everyday listeners understand. I mean, we, we developed this antibody and got to proof of concept in six months. Usually that's more than six years. Um, and as you're pointing out, cooperation is another hallmark, really teaming up across the industry to share our data. And one of the reasons we published this data last week was so our competitors who are also developing neutralizing antibodies can learn from that study and adapt their own efforts so we all get more of these things sooner. And then manufacturing, uh, which is a huge problem. One drawback of neutralizing antibodies, well, they're, they tend to be pretty safe and, and they have good effects. They're very hard to make. And so uh, Angen, like Lilly, is a biotechnology powerhouse, and we're proud to partner with them to bring more volume uh, to the fight so that more people around the world could benefit from a therapy like the one we have uh, preliminary data on. Well, David, I want to thank you for everything you're doing. At Lilly's a remarkable company. It's so hard to just have these kinds of successes. That's David Ricks, Chairman and CEO of Eli Lilly. Great, great to talk to you, sir. You too, Jim. These stocks, right now they're throwing these stocks away. That's when you buy them because it's not going to stay that way. Stick with Kramer. All right, on Hideous Day for the Averages, uh, what do we do with a stock uh, like Coca-Cola here? I mean, here's a company that's doing fantastically for the pandemic, but since COVID came to town, it's struggled because it's got a big food service business. Think about all those Coke machines and empty restaurants, stadiums, and movie theaters. However, Coca-Cola's made some major moves to take control of its own destiny in the past few months. They're expanding to the white-hot Spike Seltzer market with an alcohol extension of their Mexican Topo Chico sparkling mineral water brand. You might have had that at Bar San Miguel or, of course, Chipotle. They also mounted some major corporate reorganization, including layoffs to refocus on growth. Won't be enough. Well, let's dig deeper with James Quincy. He's the chairman and CEO of Coca-Cola to get a better sense of what these changes mean for the future of this company. Mr. Quincy, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you. Great to see you again, Jim. All right. So, James, I've got a Topo Chico bottle in my hand. I think that, that this is more symbolic. Making a move into having spiked Topo Chico is the kind of thing that, Coke, that says that James Quincy is breaking with tradition and changing and shaking up the company. Do you think that's too uh, harsh? Um, I, I may, maybe, maybe not. I think what it does say is, look, we're going to follow the consumer. Uh, you know, in the old days, people were much more regimented about the categories they stayed in, and there wasn't so much blurring uh, by consumers of mixing and matching uh, categories. And, and I think these innovations that, that we've seen, including hard seltzer, are a trend to the consumer looking for new things. And if we want to be consumer centric, uh, which we've, we've always tried to be, not always perfectly, but we've, we want to be, uh, then that's what's taking us to this opportunity, inspired, as you say, by the great success of Topo Chico, uh, Topo Chico the mineral water. We're bringing out Topo Chico uh, hard seltzer first in uh, Mexico and Brazil uh, later this month. And then uh, coming to the U.S. sometime soon. All right. We want it here. I know September 28th is the date. Uh, when can you bring it to us? As it is, you know, there's a shortage of the stuff because it's so loved. Without the without the alcohol. Yeah, well, it's, it's the, the hard seltzer will be a different product, but we believe we'll be able to be in the, in the U.S. In, um, in the first half of 2021 with the hard seltzer. 
Um, so I think that's going to be very exciting. Obviously, the category is very hot uh, in the U.S. at the moment, but we think it's going to be an interesting addition. I mean, obviously, the Topo Chico brand has tremendous relevance uh, and resonance uh, with millennial consumers, with people who, you know, who go out the bars. And so I think this is going to be a great opportunity for us. Uh, it's very synergistic for the Coke system uh, globally. So we're going to experiment with a number of cities around the world. Just one of the many things we're doing to really focus our portfolio uh, to be very consumer-centric and drive for those brands that can create scale for us. Now, James, I think that what's happening during COVID for Coca-Cola is rather remarkable. I am seeing digitization go at an incredible speed. I'm hearing talk of platforms, of reorganization, of hitting financial targets, uh, in part because you're working as a network. That is not what I think of Coca-Cola or didn't. But I guess that's how I should think of it now. Absolutely, Jim. I mean, that's some of the, a lot of these things we were doing were on our agenda uh, coming into the year, uh, and we just really saw COVID as uh, a call to action, a call to be bolder, a, catal- a catalyst to really drive these uh, initiatives forward. We want to get focused on our portfolio, really be ruthless in bringing down to those brands that have long-term potential to resonate with consumers globally, regional, locally, and to remove the rest so we believe by the you know through this process by the end of next year we'll have actually taken out half of our brands and really got focused um, and we're going to back that up with an evolution in the way we do marketing a much more digitized approach and then a lot of the companies going to work on a, a much more of a platform basis that will allow us to be faster uh, to be more agile to support and work with our bottling partners so that we can not just be consumer centric but also with our bottlers be customer-centric and really uh, help those businesses rebound from COVID. As you, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. many of our away-from-home businesses have suffered uh, in these months, uh, but help people rebound and really help create value uh, and create brands and products that people love. Now, I know you're, you're slimming down, but when you take up alcohol, which is something I never thought Coca-Cola would do, you did have something in, in Japan, what else could you do? I mean, is, is CBD a, a, a possibility? Would you think of something that goes with hard seltzer? I mean, because it sounds like that, James, you're willing to, you're willing to, let's say, break the idols. You really do seem like you're willing to do what's necessary to get Coca-Cola back to the days of a great growth company. We're definitely focused on being a growth company, and, and of course, we're happy to break the ice because broken up ice goes great in a Coke and goes great in a hard <laughs> seltzer. So hopefully we're offering lots of things that can uh, break the ice for people. But we are building on the experiments we did in Japan with our alcoholic lemon drink. Uh, it was very well received uh, by consumers in, in, the, in the initial cities, and we expanded it nationally. Uh, so we're definitely seeing uh, things there. In terms of other opportunities, um, of course, you know, first of all, ingredients have to be legal and safe for us. And, and, and so there are some lines that we're not going to go over. Right. But other than that, we're looking for things that are consumer-centric and that have capabilities we know how to do. There's no point us trying to get into our great ideas that we have for consumers, and yet we're not building on capabilities uh, that we, the company, and the bottlers have. So there has to be some connection to what we're good at. There's no point fantasizing you're going to be good at things uh, that you don't have any idea how to do today, better off experimenting. Um, but I, really, we've opened the aperture. We said beverages for life, uh, so there is some kind of a boundary on let's least concentrate on beverages, which we know most about. But let's be, uh, let's be open-minded about what really works for consumers 
and be open-minded about how we reach them. And that's about the digitization that we're driving. It's about the channels and the partners and helping them prosper. Um, so we really are starting from growth. So the, the, the focusing of the portfolio, the reorganization, the experimentation in categories like alcohol, building on the platforms we've created uh, with coffee. It's all about being open-minded and driving for scale so that we can get growth in our relationships with the consumers. Okay, so James, you've got two brands that I think are the finest in the stable of, of carbonate. You've got Zero, which is just an unbelievable drink, and you've got Mexican Coca-Cola. Can you blow those out? Because you and I both know those are huge growth brands. Yeah, well, as I'm speaking to you today from Mexico, certainly we'll be focusing on uh, continuing to grow uh, Coke, from, Coke from Mexico. Um, you know, and we're going to focus on Coke Zero. E Coke Zero has had a, had a really strong crisis. Uh, it's done much better proportionately versus the rest of the world. I'm convinced it will be back to robust growth next year. We have, we have innovations in the pipeline on Coke Zero. I can't tell you exactly Aww. what they are today, but put yourself a placeholder down that we'll be talking about Coke Zero uh, in the months to come and getting into next year. So we're definitely going to be betting on Coke uh, Zero Sugar. It's got momentum. It's Consumers love it, uh, and it's got a lot of long-term momentum. So we really do see that uh, the brand Coca-Cola has been one of our drivers of growth uh, with all its variants uh, going into the future. These experiments into other brands and other categories isn't because Coke isn't growing. Actually, Coke can and is powering the growth uh, to allow us to expand the portfolio into successful other scale brands. All right, well, I like what I hear. I like the aggressive nature. I like the products. You know I do. James Quincy, Chairman CEO of Coca-Cola, shaking it up and doing it right. Great to see you, sir. Good to see you again, Thank Jim. you. All right, I won't dare do this, but look, this is a Coca-Cola that is so aggressive. And if you want quality and dividend and growth, this Coca-Cola is going to do it. Stick with me. After a wave of white-hot IPOs, i got to circle back to a deal from earlier this year that it didn't make a splash. I'm talking about Albertsons, the supermarket chain that came public in June and failed to attract much interest. The stock price at 16 bucks, two bucks below the low end of the range, peaked at 16.50 on its first day of trading and has since pulled back to 13 dollars and change. However, Albertsons rallied today because the lockdown trades make a comeback, and that means people might be stockpiling again at supermarkets. I think this thing came public at a bad time for the industry. But now that COVID cases are spiking in, Albertsons is a grocery chain that trades just six times earnings. If they can even come close to making the numbers, the stock could potentially have a ton of upside. So let's take a closer look with Vivek Shankaran. He is the uh, CEO of Albertsons with a tremendous long history in the food business, by the way. Get a better sense of how his business is doing, where it's headed. Vivek, welcome back. Jim, good to see you again. Okay, so Vivek, the day you came public. I said that this is an incredibly cheap stock. It sells at seven times earnings. You got to own it. And it sells at six times earnings. Now, this is somewhat inconceivable, sir. You are in the supermarket business. You are well-trained at Frito-Lay, McKinsey. You have a tremendous skill set. So what is happening that, that this is not attracting more interest? Because I, I can't be this wrong. I can't. I feel the same way, Jim. I can't explain that, but I can tell you that the business is strong. 
we are gaining market share. We're adding customers every week, new customers, and they're spending more with us. They're consolidating the basket with us. And I'll also tell you that we are in the early innings of a transformation. We have so much headroom in our business, so much more potential. And it's giving me comfort, though, when I see our numbers that our strategy is working and our foundation is really strong. So I agree with you on where the stock is. Now, I mean, when I, I have actually lived in every single one of your areas, okay? Acme is my favorite. Safeway was my favorite. When I lived in Boston, yeah. Shaw's was my These are really unbelievably good names. You still, yes. I mean, to me, they resonate with consumers. Were they somehow, before you got there, not treated as well as they should have? Not really, Jim. In fact, over the last several years, we've put a lot of money into these stores, built a lot of capabilities. You're right. These brands, are, people have grown up with these brands. Shaw's has been around for 100 years. Right. And I think you combine the brands with our fabulous fresh portfolio, great execution in stores, supercharging that with the digital agenda, e-commerce and loyalty, a productivity program that's putting more money into those first two things. And I'll tell you the other thing. You should know that all of these brands, we are a very entrepreneurial culture. We move fast. We might be big, but we're fast. That's the combination that's working for us, and that's the core of the strategy. Now, at the same time, you intend to take out a billion dollars in costs. Are there really yes, that many costs you can take out? Yes, Jim. Uh, technology is a fabulous enable, enabler of productivity. Right? So if you take the last few years, the companies, when Safeway and Albertsons came together, We've spent the last four years on integrating the company, common systems, and, uh, establishing a culture and so on. Now we have common systems and data. When you have that, you can harness that to drive all kinds of productivity, buying, we're putting uh, ordering systems in that learn and make the order even better, personalized pricing, all of those types of things, promotion productivity, all areas of the business. We're looking at productivity enabled by technology, and it's there. It, we're making great progress on that dimension. Now, I bet you uh, peruse your competitors' stores. Uh, I, I, you have to, because I know because you're from PepsiCo. So yes. you must see it. Are they doing <laughs> something that you're not? Is Kroger doing something at 12 times earnings that you at six times earnings uh, aren't doing that you can change? I, I don't get the disparity. Yeah, I don't get the disparity, uh, Jim. I always measure marketplace performance on share. Okay. And we are winning market share. I look at dollar share and unit share. So when it comes down to with what's happening with our customers, we're winning there. And that's how I measure it. And we have all of these improvement programs that are going to make us even better. I talked about productivity. You should know the productivity, uh, it, it's new to us. It's not new to the world. So we are adopting things that we can drive and thus the potential in our business. Now, how about your own brands, of which I, again, I mean, oh. like and feel they are the same brands as uh, a branded product, uh, and I think they must have great margins. Yes, Jim, 1,000 basis points more than the national brands, okay, 1,000 basis points. And the old brands, it's not like 10, 15 years ago. Our own brands are innovative. Do you know that uh, we have the number one selling frozen pizza is our own brand? In 125 categories, we are the number one seller. And so we bring innovation all the time. We fill in gaps that uh, a branded manufacturer might not want to go for. But now we're going to compete head-on in many, many of our categories. It's a quarter of our business, and it's growing faster than the baseline of our business even today, all right, so what, especially what's in certain brands. What's different about your stores right uh, now, uh, let's say six months into the pandemic? What are you offering that you didn't offer, and what have, had, what have you had to take out because of issues involving the virus? 
Yeah. So, uh, Jim, we've always been strong and fresh, really right. strong. We, our mix of fresh is higher than most other competitors, okay, so by, by a wide margin. And that place, you know, people are cooking at home. They're cooking, they're right. grilling, they're decorating. When you, and when you're cooking at home, fresh matters so much. So that's a significant part of it. We've had to take out, there was a period of time when we took out all of the self-serve uh, salad bars and the olive right. bars. We packaged those and brought it back, and people are engaging again. Um, and we're we going big into meals. If you're going to eat at home, we want to make meals convenient and exciting for you. What are you doing to make stores more local? That's our heritage, Jim. Our stores are primarily local. See, we think of every, every store director as a CEO. We say, fine-tune your assortment. I was in Seattle, okay? One store was, look, if you look at onions, one store I walked in, it had mostly red onions. You don't typically see that. You typically see more white onions. It was only three miles from another store I'd went to. That store director and the produce manager knew they were selling a lot more red onions because the community around them, they adapted. We love adapting locally because we give people that freedom to do that. See, I know that, for instance, you were you owned uh, Philadelphia. Acme owned Philadelphia. And somehow yes. I think that's, that maybe it was because Walmart came in with grocery or Target. I felt that you receded in Philadelphia. Can you take that back? There was a time when it, Acme did recede, right? And so we mm-hmm. bought it. Remember, we bought Acme yes. and added it to this franchise a few years ago. Acme is doing really well now. Um, in the, during this, uh, the Northeast overall is doing really well. In the, during this pandemic, sometimes some teams take a, uh, take, move fast in a disruption, mm-hmm. and that's what this team did. Um, they were on top of safety and supply before many others in that marketplace, and those customers are still sticking with us. Oh, so last question. You can take the debt down pretty significantly then. We did. So our debt, our net debt to EBITDA ratio, LTM EBITDA is 1.8, Jim. It was 4.7 about two and a half years ago, right? So we feel we're in a good place on debt, but part of our algorithm is to continue to pay down some debt and pay a dividend, right, on top of the core performance of the business. But we feel good. The debt is not an issue for the Albertsons companies anymore. All right. Well, I, I, you and I are both in the same boat. I think this is one of the cheapest stocks in the entire market. That's Vivek Shankaran. He's the president of Albertsons companies. Hey, people say there's no more cheap stocks. 30 million customers, 66.5 billion in sales, 2,552 stores. Albertsons, ACI. Mad Money's back after the break. It is time. It's time for the light bill. Of course, one of the citizens of the city is going to be on the side of the city. It's going to be on the side of the city. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski, dead. Time for the light bill. Let's start with Jason in Indiana. Jason. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Hey, uh, my question is uh, Diamond Peak Holdings. I'm in it. I'm up 51%. Well, uh, oh wait, okay, this is an EV spec. Now, we saw what happens with some of the EV specs. You're up to, I want you to take half of it off tomorrow, and then you're going to thank me. I'm not kidding. You're going to thank me for doing that. You're never going to be upset with me that I tell you to take half of that off. Let's go to Jay in Florida. Jay. Boo, 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 yeah, Jim, chill. Thanks for taking my call. This of is course, Jay from Miami, sunny Florida. 
I like to hear your thoughts on Marcus Theater ticker symbol of now, I like to see, I mean, look, I just I am a little more bearish on the illness and virus and a lot of other people, perhaps because I own some small businesses and I see what can go wrong. I'm not a fan of Marcus. Joseph in Illinois. Joseph. Booyah, Jim. Hey, Booyah. a shout out to airmen serving around the globe at U.S. Air Force just turned 73. Definitely. My stock is the high-yielding Geo Group, ticker Golf Echo. Now, this Austin. is private correction facility. I have not liked that business, and I have been right for 15 years. I'm not going to change my stripes. Greg in Minnesota. Greg. Jim, good to be with you, sir. How are you? I am good. How about you? Bad, pretty. Handling it. Uh, the stock is Sienna. Oh, they missed uh, the quarter. 3rd. So that was a terrible quarter, Sienna. I mean, that was like, it was a big setback quarter. Set a lot of other tech stocks down with it. Be careful, Sienna. How about Jim in Illinois? Jim. How you doing, Jim? Uh, I got hold of the position in Smith & Wesson. It's been down about 30% since it blew away earnings a month ago. Should I hold it? No, I would hold that. Sadly, I would hold it because I think that we have, this is a very tough one to own. But I understand that demand is very strong. Let's go to Pete in Delaware. Pete. Hey, Jim. I hope you're doing well. That's all right. How about you? Good, good. Thank you. Um, I wanted to get your opinion on one of my favorite uh, holdings, uh, the Public Services, RSG. That is a very good company. Very good company. I like the waste companies. They do. They thrive during periods of residential construction. That is one of them. I think you got a winner. Let's go to Demetrius in South Carolina. Demetrius. Hey, booyah, Jim. Booyah. South Carolina. All right. My question is about the CZR Caesars. They're getting together with him. And also- I think it's made a miraculous run back. And it's time to ring the register, Caesars. How about Rick in California, Rick? Rick. Yes, sir. Thank you for taking my call, Cody. What do we got? Cody. Oh, wow, I got Cody. broken record here. I mean, wow. That's another. No, you don't go, oh, that's not a good stock. Uh, not a good company. That's right. They can come on and tell me why they are a good company. I'm always open for that. Let's go to Brett in Missouri. Brett. Hey, Jim, thanks for taking my call. Of course. I wanted to get your thoughts on a company that appears to have one of the best pipelines of any small or mid-cap biotech and has licensing and partnership agreements with Johnson & Johnson and Amgen. The company is Arrowhead Pharmaceuticals. I do not understand why that stock is doing as poorly as it is because it does have a lot of good things to it, and I agree with you, and thank heavens I got one stock in that lightning round that I'd actually buy. And that, ladies and the conclusion of the lightning round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Lockdown trade. It is back. Now, COVID's making a comeback. 17 states showing a sustained uptick in new cases. It's getting colder. The schools, worrisome, are open. Worse, the bars and restaurants are open, and we know they're breeding grounds for the virus because you can't wear a mask when you eat, and people are sitting and standing too close together inside. Most importantly, the U.K. and Spain both seem to have lost control of the pandemic again and are headed back into lockdown. If the past is any guide, our future does not look as great as its past. So buyers dump everything with any sensitivity, and it won't go into the lockdown stocks, especially the packaged food place that had been abandoned for weeks. Why not? The uptick in cases means that we're not going back to work anytime soon. Got to fill the pantry again. 
And that means you have to sell stocks like Darden, the parent of Olive Garden, which is up like 20 straight points. And that needs people to dine indoors to have any hope of generating good numbers. Instead, you want to swap into chains with terrific delivery platforms like Wingstop or Domino's, which supported a bang up quarter. As for the pantry place, you might want to look at Campbell's Soup. We just had CEO Mark Klaus on the show. I thought he told a great story about a real shift among millennials who are embracing his canned soups and his snacks. Think goldfish like never before. Let's not overthink this move, people. You, you can absolutely buy Amazon. That got hit hard in the open and then bounced back, and it finished positive. That said, I still prefer Walmart because it's doing an amazing job expanding its e-commerce offerings, and it got this great TikTok windfall. Uh, Walmart is going to be able to sell goods to 100 million viewers, and that gives them a tremendous advertising platform. Plus, this is one of the handful of big box retailers that we know can thrive during a lockdown. I like the e-commerce enablers. Despite some really negative research, Shopify... Well, a classic stay-at-home economy stock, it ended up in the green. Makes sense, given that it's already down over 200 points before it got a sell slapped on it. Small businesses need PayPal and Square to handle contactless payments. They need Twilio to get the word out. The market didn't seem to care for Adobe last week, right? Uh, after what I thought was a great quarter. Oh, but now the buyers can't resist. DocuSign's on fire because all sorts of deals are now DocuSigned. And there's a ton of people buying real estate in the suburbs right now. My best contacts are saying that multiple offers well above the asking price have become pretty common, even as renters in the cities default. You can circle back to the cybersecurity stocks, too. They're essential to the remote work trade. And the ones that we talk about, Palo Alto, Zscaler, CrowdStrike, Okta, they're working. Finally, there's the tried and true, which is Zoom video. After getting pancaked as people started returning to the office, Zoom is back in style. Now the COVID's spiking again. Who could have guessed that going back to work would cause the virus to spread other than anyone with a brain? It's not safe to go to the gym, so we're back on our Pelotons. Finally, Roku hit an all-time high, because what else are you supposed to do when you're stuck at home other than watch TV and movies over the web? I could tell you to go by the whole Kramer COVID-19 index, but the drug stocks are once again under assault. It's the run-up to an election, and they're mighty hard to own because both parties love to bash big pharma, even as I think it's all rhetoric. You have to be more selective. But I think the stay-at-home stocks that work today will keep working. These moves tend to last longer than one day. You get quick flippers and profit-taking, usually by 1130 tomorrow, and then maybe you can pick some up. We've been through this twice now, and the pattern's clear. The lockdown stocks keep roaring until we get a sustained period where COVID cases go down and businesses can reopen. Look at it like this. As long as there's a big line to get in elevators and office, you can keep expecting cases will climb, which means we're right back where we started from. Stick with Kramer. When you go to those straight down openings and you see it just plummet, that's often a crescendo. It doesn't mean we're not going to retest it. But if you take a look at the stock of Apple, people are just throwing it away. Why? Well, no one knew. As a matter of fact, the only news was a guy who raised his price target. I need you to take advantage of when we have these give-ups, because that's the only time you can really get in this market. And it did slay the 1999 beast. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Man Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I'll see you tomorrow.